If you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, there are three parts to every one of us. All right, let me just, uh, does anybody know what they are? It's body, soul, and spirit. We get that from the Bible in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y, which means completely, all of you. May he sanctify you wholly. And I pray that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are three parts to us. They're more than just flesh and bone. What are they? They are the body, the soul, and the spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but we're pretty well fed as a people. We eat pretty well, don't we? Uh, we're pretty well instructed intellectually. I mean, most everybody has had schooling, has had, they, they know how to read, they know how to write. Um, and emotionally, most of us have friends. Now, some people on purpose don't have friends. That's their business, okay? But most of us, emotionally, we have friends, we have family, and we're probably doing pretty okay. But I have to tell you, most of us are starving spiritually. We've put so much emphasis on how we look, uh, what we eat, um, you know, our health, on our education, on where we live. We put a lot of emphasis on the body. We put a lot of emphasis on our soul, whether we're happy or whether if we're sad, we try to get ourselves happy. But we put very little emphasis on spiritual things and even Christians. And that's why marriages are a mess. That's why governments are a mess. Why churches are so messed up. The Bible says that we're in perilous times. Perilous means deadly times. And in, in Psalm 19, sorry, Psalm 917, it says this, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. So in reality, when we move away from the Bible and we learn, we move away from a spiritual relationship with God, our nation suffers and our nation turns into hell on earth. Matthew 4, 4, you ought to know that verse. It says, the answer that said it is written, talking to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. You don't find life in, in um, pizza and in hamburgers. You find it in the word of God. And, and the truth is this, the less Bible you have, the less life you are living. And I'm watching a lot of people who may have car and house. I don't know how people are affording to buy. I mean, house prices are rising. People are buying houses. People are buying cars. I'm going, where's all this money? I don't know. I know this. I bet you they're starving spiritually. I guarantee you they are. So instead of focusing so much on your body and then on your soul and giving the leftovers to the spirit, let's reverse that order where the spirit is at top. That's going to be my goal this week and next week. Because the truth is the Bible is more than words on a paper. On paper. A physical material book, that's your Bible. It contains words on paper bound in a book. Hand copy, can you imagine hand copying? I actually have a, um, a book of William Tyndale's uh, Bible. Um, it was hand copied. It was before Gutenberg printing press was ever allowed to to make copies of, of a Protestant Bible, but they hand copied thousands of New Testaments done by William Tyndale. I have a, I have a, a copy 
picture, photocopy of his entire New Testament. And it's just breathtaking to know somebody painstakingly copied every word of the New Testament in English back in the 50, early 1500s. The point is this. It's because it is an eternal book. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35. Say, I know all this. Yeah, but have you ever put it together and realized, you know, the reason why you don't enjoy the Bible is because you're reading it in the flesh. You're reading it for emotion instead of to feed your spirit. You, the book was not written to make you feel comfortable. The book actually rubs against the flesh the wrong way, doesn't it? It actually, if you come to the Bible and you are, you are, in disobedience to God, you're living your own way, you will never enjoy the Bible, amen? Isn't that true? But if you want to feed your spirit, if you want it to fix your spirit, if you want it to restore your spirit, that's what it's written for. Because look at verse chapter 23 and verse 35. It says, is that right? Uh, 24, I'm in 23, 24, 35, thank you. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away so this this universe is going to fade away it's going to be burned up and yet this book will still be here uh and not only is it eternal but as i said it is spiritual i won't have you go there again but john 6 63 says the words that i speak unto you they are spirit and they are life um that's a big deal this book exists in two realms in two worlds uh you know, yeah, you know what somebody, you know what somebody who's half in the water and half out of the water, you know what they're called? A swimmer. <laughs> they live in two realms. They cannot live underwater because they'll die, amen, not unless they have breathing apparatus. But it, you can exist in two realms at one time. And we, we kind of don't realize I exist in two realms. I exist in this physical world, but there is a kingdom. You're either in the kingdom of darkness or you're in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. And I want to exist in that realm. And this book teaches me how to live there, even though I'm here physically. Do you know, every time you pray, you move from this realm to a spiritual realm. We, that's why we close our eyes. That's why we stop everything and we quiet down so that we can move into a spiritual realm and talk straight to God. You can come before his throne. You can bring all your cares there, but you're moving into a spiritual realm. Every time you worship God and you close your eyes and you praise him, and you thank him, and you sing to him, you've moved out of this realm into a spiritual realm. Well, this book is in both realms. It's the bridge. It's a spiritual book. You can read every word of your Bible and miss the point of it all. Do you know that? 2 Corinthians. Go to the right. Find 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. Second Corinthians, and to a lot of people, what I'm saying just goes right over the head. They just don't get it. Well, look at why. Second Corinthians 4 and verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, that's Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So there are people who read the Bible and they don't get it at all. Why? Because they're blind. Because they're, they're reading it with just their mind. They have never understood that it was meant not only to, to be 
analyzed and read with your mind, but to believe with all your heart. Thy word have I hid where? In my heart. That's where it needs to go because that's where the change that I'm going to send against thee. So we're going to come. Uh, so I'm going to show you that this book is spiritual and is meant to feed your spirit, not just your mind and intellect. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2. Um, why don't you go ahead and go there? Go back one book. And by way of background, Corinth, Paul is writing to the Corinthian Christians in Corinth. Corinth was a city, let's say this, of almost a million people. I can't comprehend that. I mean, I hate going to Dublin for that one reason. There are too many people. <laughs> but uh, Corinth had almost about 900,000 people there, but almost a million people in this city. And it's located uh, on the edge of there's there's a Greek mainland and then the southern island there. And right as a right as a port city, people trying to go through what's called the Aegean Sea, going and making a instead of going around the long way, they could go right through that channel up towards uh, Italy and everything. And Corinth was a very wealthy, very prosperous city, um, right in the middle of southern Greece there. And so um, Paul visited in Acts chapter 18, and there were People getting saved right, left, and center. Um, uh, Apollos, Apollos, Apollos was, um, um, you know, being prepared to become the pastor of this massive church and things. There were people just, just getting saved all the time. And there was a huge church there. Pauline writes and says, if you all tried to get in one place, there was no place that could hold all of them. There was no Colosseum that could hold them all. But they were very immature. First Corinthians tells you this was just the most immature group of Christians you'd ever, never want to be around. They were very carnal believers, and they had been influenced by false teachers. Before they had YouTube, <laughs> there were false teachers that came through and were pulling them in 50 different directions. And um, they, were, they were saying, well, I had a dream. I had a vision. I have a new word. I have a prophecy. And so people were following everything except the Bible. So, Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians to try to set some things straight, especially about warning them about missing the spiritual nature of the scriptures. Because if you go to a, a church service and it's just Bible, you're going to say boring. If you go to a church service, however, and it's entertainment and songs and dancing and color and lights, you're going to say, well, that was fun. So Paul had to pull them away from that and back to the scripture and back to the power that's in the book, not into manipulation like what they were experiencing. So look at verse one in second, I'm sorry, first Timothy chapter two, because I want you to see Paul starts off and says the Bible is foolish on purpose. Now we'll go back between chapter one, and chapter two a bit here, but in first Corinthians chapter two, verse one, and I, brethren, remember me. <laughs> When I came to you, I didn't come like, like all the other, you know, fancy preachers. Uh, and I always, always grieve over the fact that America has exported a lot of stupid things. And one of them is televangelists. You ever watch their fingers? They got rings on all their fingers. They've got private airplanes. They've got multiple cars and they've got multiple houses. And it never dawns on somebody that that's not Christ. So Paul says he's competing against all these false teachers that had the money and had the popularity and had the, the, um, the you know, uh, the smooth talk. And he says, hey, you remember me? 
when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you what? I just told you the testimony of God. I just repeated what God said. So when Paul preached the Bible, guess what he preached? He spoke God's words. He declared what God thinks, what God sees, and what God is doing. I think that's very important. I think Michal Martin needs to know what God sees Ireland doing and what God thinks about what the Irish are doing. Our Bible is not filled with excellent speeches and fancy sounding words like Shakespeare. To be or not to be, that is the question. Now, those are excellent words, wouldn't you agree? I mean, that's amazing. I still, I, you know, I mean, some of the things that Shakespeare wrote and was performed are awesome to hear. Or what about this one? We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans and shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whether the coast, wherever the coast may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. That was not Ian Paisley. That was Winston Churchill. But those are excellent words. It, it changed the mood of the nation. It moved people to say we must go on and we must keep the fight against the Germans in World War II. Those are excellent speeches. But that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is foolishness. You've got to understand that. If you haven't figured it out, it's not a best-selling book. It's a best-printing book. I give away Bibles as fast as I can, but I know Ultimately, people are not saying, I got to go buy a Bible. I got to go buy a Bible. Oh, I want it to go up. And... No, because it is a foolish book. Go one chapter back. Go to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross, especially of the cross, is to them that perish, it is foolishness. But to us which are saved, whoo, we love it. It is the power of God. Hmm. That is absolutely powerful. Jude 1.16 says this about our excellent speeches that we hear. It says, these are murmurs, talking about all the other speakers. This is, these are murmurs and complainers, as a talk show host, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. They want people to admire them because they take advantage of them. And they use fancy words to do it. And when churches do that, they're of the devil. Because Paul knew that when he spoke, a lot of people would go, yeah, that's what happened with Jesus. When Jesus was speaking and he says, I got a, I didn't come to be king with a crown on a throne in Jerusalem yet. He said, I came to die and give my life for the world, give my flesh and my blood for the world. And they went, yeah, and they walked away from him because his words were not about the value of physical things. They were about life eternal life, and about spiritual things. Romans 16, 18 says, for they, are they which, which, uh, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. Their own belly, that's what they serve. And by good words and by fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Politicians, reporters, and advertisers, you know what they do? They use good words. They analyze every syllable of a word. 
They analyze every sentence they say, they choreograph everything they do so that people go, oh, isn't he wonderful? Doesn't she move you? Not the Bible. The Bible is foolishness. It's not like any other book ever written. I wouldn't have written the Bible like this. If I was writing the Bible, I would have at least written it, you know, so more people would like it. <laughs> no human would have written such a book. Only God did. Here's the point. It was designed and written to be a foolish book to people. Do you know, to the proud, to the arrogant, to the self-centered and sinful person, this book is irrational. It is crazy. It is laughable. It is stupid. It is unimpressive. And it's not very exciting at all. But I'm okay with that. Because now that I got saved, it's the most exciting, it's the wisest, it's the most incredible book ever written. I'll tell you, the, the illustration is the same. Before I got saved, they had uh, radio stations in America, kind of like 93.1, but they were a little more conservative. And uh, they'd be playing hymns on the radio. And I would every once in a while just go turn in the dial, the old regular dial, not digital. And you just go to see what radio stations were playing, what music, and you come across a station and they'd be playing a hymn. And I, I just went, <sighs> and it sounded like somebody was scratching their fingernails on a blackboard. It's just like, oh. Well, then after somebody gave me the gospel and after I got saved and I'm tuning that thing and I'd hear somebody singing a hymn, I went, <gasps> and it was like the light was on. They didn't change the hymns. I got changed. Does that make sense? All of a sudden, a spiritual song resonated. It, it, it thrilled my spirit. It didn't make my, my flesh want to jump up and down. And the Bible is written the same way. Uh, it does not need to be updated. Your Bible does not need to be updated. It doesn't need to be changed or fluffed up or sugarcoated. It just needs to be believed. Now, look at verse 2, because verse 2 tells us that the Bible has one main focus there in first corinthians 2 verse 2 for i determined not to know anything among you i didn't want to learn anything among you didn't want to teach anything among you save we'd say except jesus christ and him crucified god has one main focus on every pages of your book and it's not you it is not you when, you, when most, most people come to the Bible, they want it to be about them and how God is going to bless them and how God is going to make their life better and how God's going to answer every one of their prayers. And it's not like that. It's about Christ and him crucified. Go back one chapter. Go back to verse 23 of chapter 1. We preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews... Oh, man, it's a stumbling block. It just messes them up, messes up their head. They just fall all over the floor. And under the Greeks, it is what? Under those wise guys, it is foolishness. Go to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, verse 25. Luke 24, 25. Jesus has been sort of, without them knowing it, walking alongside two disciples. In verse 25, it says this, Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets 
have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? They're all disappointed, depressed, discouraged because Jesus has died. He was supposed to be the Messiah. He's supposed to be the King of Kings. He's not supposed to die. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and, enter, and to enter into his glory? In verse 27, in beginning where? At Moses, in the Old Testament, in Genesis. And all the prophets, he went all the way through the Old Testament. He expounded to them in all the scriptures. What did he do? He talked about the things concerning himself. Guess what? Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Every page of your Bible reveals Christ. Uh, and I, it, because Jesus outshines everything. He outshines all the history, all the science, all the battles, all the ceremonies in the Old Testament, all the kings and queens, and all the struggles. Jesus was there. And not only Jesus, but the purpose of Jesus coming, the cross. Because, you see, the history of David doesn't save anybody. The laws of Moses don't save anybody. Do you understand that? The death of Christ, the burial and the resurrection of Christ, that saves the soul. And so from Genesis all the way through, it's about the cross. The centerpiece and the focus of all Scripture is the crucifixion of Christ. When you start to look in your Bible for what are called shadows, or what we might call as symbols, um, uh, pointers, to the cross, and you find Jesus even says, as Moses was lifted up in the wilderness, when, 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 as, as, the, as the brazen serpent was lifted up by Moses in the wilderness, so must I be lifted up to save all men. That whosoever believeth on me, just like they, they, they looked at that and they believed the word of God there, and they were delivered from the snake uh, bites, I can save them from sin and from death and hell. And he points to symbolic, the, the symbols and the, 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 the pictures of himself throughout scripture. Um, every event in the Bible, every story, and every parable points to something about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22. Read this again. The Jews require a sign. They always want a miracle. And the Greeks they always want something that sounds good and sounds smart and sounds wise. Well, we don't satisfy either one of them. We preach Christ crucified. And under the Jews, that's a stumbling block. And under the Greeks, it is foolishness. But unto us, under them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So the, the cross is the greatest victory hidden right in plain sight. It is the wisest act of God. It shows the deepest wisdom toward the problem of sin. And it was and is the climax of the greatest love story ever told. And I get to preach it every week. I get to talk about it to anybody who'll listen, even though they think it's foolish. Now, the Bible is preached and taught by flawed people. I like how Paul brings this up in verse 3 because this is a good truth for, for anybody who sees what I do as easy because it's not. Look at chapter 2, verse 3, and I was with you in confidence. Is that what he says? In ability. No. I was with you in weakness. Um, and uh, let me keep going here. I got a thought here. In, in uh, weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, the truth is only Jesus' words and his way of speaking were perfect. 
Only he could just say every word perfectly. Me? <laughs> I'm terrified. I'm, uh, I tremble. I mean, too much, you know, I, I get used to speaking here because we're family. But if I get asked to speak somewhere else, I am as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs, they used to say. You get, you get to where you're, you're you know, uh, you're, you're used to me getting up here. But every time before I get ready to preach, I am weak. I'm like, Lord, I can't. I can't figure all these things out. I don't know how to make it sen make sense to people. I just want to preach your word. I just want to help somebody. And I tremble much, Paul says. That's how the, the apostle Paul was. If anybody should have had great confidence and should have just come in and just like a, like a steamroller should just come in and just prove his point. Paul says, I was terrified of speaking. I was unable to do what I'm doing. Uh, that blows me away. It just teaches me no true preacher of this book is ever confident of himself when he's preaching. He's just doing his best. And that's okay. You see, we are insufficient to the task of speaking for God. God gave me a book to speak. That's why I just try to stay in this book and try to help you get in this book and try to get your roots deep in this book. Because if you're trying to trust me make sense out of it at all, you're trusting the wrong thing. We are insufficient. I love this. Let me... Um, uh, let me just quote a couple of things here. Second Corinthians 3, 5 says this, not that we, the apostles, are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. That's where we, that's where our sufficiency, he makes it work out. I remember a preacher, he tried to preach on the prodigal son. And as he spoke, he actually said, he actually named all the different people in, in the story just to make it a little more applicable so people, so he always, he always called the prodigal son, Bill. And he always called uh, the other brother, John. And he always called the dad, you know, um, I don't know what else, whatever. But when he got up to the preach, he couldn't remember how, what the names of those guys, he hadn't written them down. And so he began to tell the story and he'd say, the prodigal son, uh, uh, John, you, you know, he, he got angry at his dad, Sean, and then, and, and he fumbled it all up. And that 45-minute message, he was sweating. He was upset at himself. He was so upset. In the end, he had mixed up everything. And when he finished the message, closed the book, he was too embarrassed to, to um, you know, even give an invitation. All of a sudden, there was some weeping and crying in the back of the room. He was like, yeah, I'd cry too after that message. <laughs> and as he struggled through that thing, he just thought, I'm just so embarrassed. I couldn't even stay, keep a straight thought. And then all of a sudden, two or three people started coming up to the altar and they began to cry and weep. And he's like, what is going on? And somebody came up and says, Pastor, that was the best message you could have ever preached. <laughs> Pastor, what are you talking about? He said, uh, one of the deacons in the church, his son has been away for so many years and living in the world. He came and he snuck back in today during your message. And everybody stood there breathless as he sat there and you mentioned his name. His name is Bill because he's trying to name the other brother Bill because he was going to call the prodigal son John. He said the brother that was stayed home, his name was John. And how did you know? <laughs> and the pastor said, I didn't know. I didn't know your son had been like that. I didn't know his name was Bill. And so anyway, my point is this. 
You're not sufficient. You can't know, and you don't know what God's going to do. And when you make such a mess out of things, and you make a fool of yourself trying to preach God's word, God still steps in and gets people saved and still speaks to hearts. That's why I still keep doing this, even though I know I'm a failure. I make, I lay huge eggs. <laughs> but that's okay. God can make great omelets. All right? So we are insufficient to the task of speaking. So anytime God ever puts on your heart, to teach Sunday school or to stand behind this pulpit and say something of the testimony of God. Do it and mess up royally. God will still be honored if you're doing it from his word with the right heart. I believe with all my heart. Jeremiah, I love this. Exodus 4 says this, and Moses said to the Lord, oh Lord, I am not, what did he want to be? Eloquent. Neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. I've been talking to you and I haven't changed. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who made man's mouth? Who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? I did it. Now therefore go and I will be with thy mouth and I will teach thee what thou shalt say. He didn't say, I'm going to make you eloquent. I'm going to make you smooth talking. I'm going to make you wise sounding. He says, I'm just going to give you some words to say. And however you say it, say it. Isn't that encouraging? I like that part. I like that part. And that's okay with me that, that, it's, that we're flawed people get up here and we preach. Now let's get on to verse 4, back there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. We're going to now get closer to the real message because the Bible is filled with foolish words. Look at verse 4. He goes on. He says, in my speech, in my preaching was not with enticing words. Enticing is... Like when you go fishing, you put a lure on there, put a worm, you put something in there to, to attract somebody to a hook. Paul says, I don't do that. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but my preaching was in demonstration of the spirit and of power. This is so important to understand. He did not use wise sounding words. Look at verse 17 of chapter 1. For Christ sent me not to, who was sent to baptize? John the Baptist was. But that was before the cross. Now that the cross is finished, Paul says, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And I don't use the wisdom of words. Why? Because lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Anytime I try to make the cross smoother or more pretty, or if I ever try to make Jesus not so extreme, I ruin it. I ruin it. Paul says, I'm not going to do that. Big, impressive words will take your attention away from what happened on the cross. I kind of like to think primitive Christianity is the best kind of Christianity. Without internet. Without even, it doesn't matter. Do you know, there are millions of Christians right now who are meeting outdoors, who are who don't have but one Bible in their entire assembly. And they're more vibrant. They're more faithful. They win more souls because of the simplicity of the gospel. They don't have to have the best preachers. They just have faithful men of God. Don't look for wise sounding words from me. Paul says, he goes on. He says, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of, man, uh, uh, of man's wisdom. You know, that includes rude words. And offensive words. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians 11. 
still speaking to the Corinthians. I one time spoke in a church in New Jersey. This woman came up to me afterwards and says, that was really rude, <laughs> what I had said. And I'm sure I might have offended. I just, I didn't mean to offend. And she just was really offended. Well, look at this. I didn't intend to, but look at what your Bible says in verse 6. For though I be, what's our word? <laughs> rude in speech. And I'm not in knowledge. I'm not stupid. But sometimes I say things that offend. We have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. You know me. So your Bible, as Paul is saying, he's writing, he says, I know I'm rude. I know I, I say things that offend. Go to James. James chapter 3. Hebrews, and then comes the book of James chapter 3 and verse 2. What kind of preacher do you want? What kind of church do you want? Do you want one where everybody never gets offended, where nobody ever gets mad? Or do you want one where, you know what, he's right. I don't like him. I don't like what he said, but he's right. Look at James chapter 3 and verse 2. For in many things we preachers offend everybody. Many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, woo, they're the same as a perfect man. And able also to bridle the whole body. I'd love to be a perfect man, but guess what? I ain't. I work on it. I want to say things that are just Bible and just true. But if you preach the Bible, you're going to offend somebody. You know that? Have you noticed that? Why they want to ban it. That's why they want to remove. And I believe it is coming. Our channel, uh, as we preach the Bible, they're going to say this. What are they going to say? What do they say? They say, this violates our content rules, community standards. Yep, sure does. Yep, the Bible does. It turns the world on its head. Rude and offensive. The Bible exposes hidden sins. The Bible exposes hard hearts, exposes hypocrisy. It talks straight up and is, and is not politically correct. You know, the Bible says men and women. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say uh, person A and person B like they want to talk about today. The Bible's real clear and it's confusing, uh, confusing words. You ever, you ever tried to give the gospel and then somebody asks you a question and you can't answer it? There's, I, I cannot explain. Like I said, there's a lot of things that's just like, Needle asked me, he said, boy, I never saw this before. I do, have you ever seen this? And I go, ah, yeah, but I don't know what to say. I have no idea what it's saying. There, there is some of this book that's just confusing. Even Peter admitted it. Peter says there are some things that Paul writes that I don't get. <laughs> I thought that's cool. There are confusing words in your Bible. There are stuttering and stumbling words. You ever tried to read some of the names in the Bible? Some of the places? Some of the Bible just does, man, it just doesn't make sense, at least on the surface. But I have to say this. It's all for a good reason. Why? Look at verse, back to Second uh, First Timothy, or First Corinthians, chapter 2. And now verse 4 and 5 again. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Remember, he's in competition. Not really, but he is in their minds. He's come along and they're like, I don't like Paul. Oh, I like Cephas better. Oh, I like so-and-so better. I like Apollos. He's on this in this lineup of, of what they consider performers. He says, guys, I didn't come and compete on their level. 
My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but my speech was in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's the point. Our faith is supposed to be in the hearing and the believing the word of God. Uh, Romans 10, 17 says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. However, anybody can hear it and just hear it if only people would hear it. And the truth is this, a couple of points. The power of God right now. I wish we had the power of God where somebody who got cancer, somebody could touch them and they'd be healed. I wish that if somebody had just died and it was a young person or somebody that, that just we just couldn't let go and they could walk in and they could raise from the dead. I wish I could experience that power. But the power of God right now is in a book. It is in the word of God itself. It's like a tiny seed. Jesus told a story of a sower who sowed seed. Remember that? And that seed was the word of God. It, it seems so simple. It seems it's just words on it. No, it's seeds that can bring life. It has the precise power to expose and to cut and to convict and to humble and break every one of us down to size. And then it has the power to save and encourage and equip and to fill every believer to maturity. That's the power of the word of God. It speaks of life and light and hope into any dark and broken heart. It just needs to be believed and obeyed to experience it. Go to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. In verse 2, Hebrews 4 and verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Talking about the Jewish nation, talking about when they first came out of Egypt. The gospel was preached unto them there. Isn't that cute? And the gospel was preached unto us Jews, the Hebrews, right in Christ's day. But the word back then preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now, that's very important because the truth is the gospel cannot just be preached. I can pour my heart into this message. I can do my best and somebody say, oh, hum, oh, boring. Okay, well, the gospel, I can do my best preaching it. You are listening right now, praise God, but hearing it doesn't change you. You got to believe it. If ever I were to try and make a cake and don't ask me to, but I, you take the ingredients and you take eggs, you take flour, take a pinch of salt, you take some sugar, you take all that stuff, you put it together. It's no good until it's mixed up and blended. And until this word gets into your heart and then you mix it with faith and you believe it, it's just going to be a book in your hand. It's just going to be dead on arrival. It's going to be something you analyze and then push aside. Jesus said, believe on me. Believe until you believe. And remember, all throughout the book of John, what did they say? And many believed on him, and they believed on him, and she believed on him, and it changed their lives. So there are three onlys that I just want to finish up. Number one, only this book proves God's power. Only this book, book does. Somebody may come in here, and I don't know what they may be able to do, but somebody may be able to come in here and with a flip of their finger, be able to switch the lights off. You can do that with technology, but somebody may have the power to, to do some miracle. That is not the power of God today. Somebody may be able to, you know, um, uh,
do something spectacular, do some great performance. I mean, every one of the rock concerts I went to when I was a teenager, every one of them was like a miracle. All of the fireworks and the light shows and everything. It was awesome as a performance. But you see, this book tells me about God's work. And from the start, out of nothing, God created everything. It explains where sin came from and where it is in my heart. It proves the power that, that it is able to take that sin out and replace my heart with, with heart of flesh and with a new spirit. Everything that I need, the power of God that I need, I get in the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is quick and powerful. We gotta, we, you don't need a man to be powerful. You don't need a preacher to be powerful. You need the word of God because it is powerful. Matthew 8, 8, Jesus is asked to come and heal the centurion's servant. And as he gets closer, the centurion, this Roman soldier with a hundred men under him says, Lord, you don't need to come under my roof. I know you. You're a lot like me. I have people who do what I say and, and, and uh, they do it because I say it because they're under my authority. And I know you have that same power because you're under authority. It's like I have authority from above. And if you just spoke, my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, Woo, I've not seen so great faith. And he says, your servant is healed. And he walked away. The word of God is powerful. If you would read the Bible for the power that's in it, instead of a power that you could use, no, no, but the power that God uses on you. Secondly, the only, the, um, uh, only the Bible, only in the Bible can you know what God, I think this is really cool, what God has freely given you. Look in chapter 2, verse 9, back in Hebrew, or Hebrews, I'm in Hebrews, in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 2 and verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. No one has ever dreamed or imagined or calculated what God has prepared for those that love him. No one has ever heard anyone else figure out what God has prepared for them that just love him. But God, look at verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. I, I actually, I was praying I, as I studied this. I said, Lord, why didn't you say the word there? Why didn't you say God has revealed them unto us? Because all the things that God has prepared for us has been in the word, but you won't see it without God's Holy Spirit. And that's my point for next week. You need the spirit of God to enjoy this book. And I'll make it big next week. Just understand, God reveals the most amazing, unbelievable, incredible, mind-blowing, fantastic things about life, about ourselves, about the future, about forgiveness, about love, about grace, about heaven in the Bible. When the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, um, I can tell, I can take somebody outside. I like astronomy, and I can take people outside, and I can say, you know, we're up there. That's Orion. That's the... Uh, the the constellation, see his two arms, see the belt, see the sword, see his legs, and they go, Whoa. I said, well, right there in the, in the sword dangling down from his belt is a nebula called Orion Nebula, and it is beautiful. They take pictures of it. It's one of the most, picture, one of the most photographed objects in the night sky. And he, so I'm explaining, they go, I don't see it. So I give somebody binoculars. They go, oh, wow. And if you get out away from all of the lights and, and the technology and everything you just sit out there and let your eyes adjust to the sky and you look at it you can see color to the sky 
to stars. You can see textures. You can see, you can see the Andromeda galaxy with binoculars. And I'm telling you, this book will show you things you'll never, you've never seen before as the Spirit of God opens it up. Only the Bible can show you what God has freely given you. I like how he says this. He says, uh, I want to go down to verse 12. Um, now we have um, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us by uh, uh, by God of God. And um, let me just third only only the spirit of God makes the word of God work in you. You ought to remember Zechariah four six not by might, not by power, but by my spirit saith the Lord of hosts. Paul's speech, his words were not his words when he preached. They were not enticing. They weren't acceptable words. They were words demonstrating the power of God. When he preached, entire cities went into an uproar and they beat him up and they threw him into prison. You know why? Ephesians 6.17 says, what does what what uh, Paul call the Bible? He says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, it make the spirit of God makes the word of God work in you. Without the spirit of God teaching us what we see in the Bible and opening our eyes to it, it'll never make any sense. That's my, that's the next step we're going to go to. Um, and I got all kinds of things. It, it, the whole point is this, the spirit of God is the missing ingredient in your reading I want you to read the Bible. I want you to enjoy. I want you to read four chapters, 10 chapters. I don't care. One chapter every single day. But you need God's spirit. You need to pray and say, God, open my eyes. God, speak to me as I hear your word. Without that, it's just words on a page. Don't get trapped. Because in a few weeks, you know what you'll be doing? Back to your old ways. The Bible will not be that center point of your life. More next week, I'm going to talk to you about the spiritual side of Scripture how you see it from God's view. And you can't ignore that. I want to compare the natural man who just never going to get the Bible versus the spiritual man that loves it and obeys it. And then I want to, as I said, I'm going to build more that God has to open your understanding beside, beyond just letters on a page so that you experience the power of this book. And then how to enjoy and read the Bible spiritually instead of just intellectually, which is too easy to do. So... Simple, simple thought. There's more to you than just a body and a soul. There is a spirit. And your spirit is probably starving. There's more to this Bible than just ink on pages bound in a book. And it's different design. If you come to it and it just doesn't speak to you, it's because of two reasons. One is you just got to keep reading because it will. But secondly, you need the Spirit of God saying, yes, that's what I'm talking about. That's for you. You know, when he designed the Bible, it was so that you would respond to the Spirit of God speaking into you, not to some motivator. If you have to have me motivate you, if you have to wait on me to explain everything to you, then you're, 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 you're wasting your time. You need to say, God, move me to be in your word and to love your word and to obey it. Because through his words, he will humble you, and that's the only way he ever saves souls.
Nobody gets saved without the Bible. And then you'll start to discover in the Bible all that God has freely given to you because of the cross. Question is, will you take what God has offered you? God gave you himself in Jesus. He gave you forgiveness at the cross. He gave you eternal life if you just ask for it. And you find out about it all in the word. It doesn't mean anything until the spirit of God grips your heart. Has he ever gripped your heart where you said, God, I don't like that. I like realizing I'm, I'm lost. I'm a sinner. I'm, I, I'm ruined. I'm without you. But thank you for telling that to me, God. Would you please move me out of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son? Father, bless what we've learned this morning. God, I pray that you whet our appetites so that we would read the Bible differently. I'd like to talk to a church that reads the Bible so that we learn from it. Because we've got to start there, but then we need to make sure it's the Holy Spirit teaching us. And that we're listening to it on a different level than just words on a page. Because the letter kills. It's the spirit that gives life. Pray that we would learn that. And it would, it would, it would, we would become a Bible, reading, living, obeying people. Let somebody in this audience, God, online, consider that that Bible was written so they would, from page one all the way to the last page, learn that Jesus loved them wants them, died in their place, rose again to give them eternal life. If they would just ask for it, they'd be saved. I pray that somebody would get saved today in Jesus' name. Amen.